Elaine Wilkins on Fatigue, Stress, and Exhaustion, Dissolving the Mysteries of Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and Fibromyalgia Recovery. And this is recorded with Lisa across the pond in the UK, episode 98 on Alternative Health Tools Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Health Tools podcast. I'm Lisa Victoria, your host, and today we are talking about dissolving the mystery of chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia recovery. And I am joined with our wonderful guest, Elaine Wilkins. Welcome, Elaine. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Lisa. And um, before we get going, just a little bit about you, Elaine. You're an accredited wellbeing coach, the CEO of the Chrysalis Effect, ME Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Fibromyalgia Recovery Specialist, and also a leader in digital healthcare. You've been a very busy lady. <laughs> Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your journey and how you've got to do what you do now? Yeah, certainly. So, it was really uh, being necessity being the mother of invention uh, with the chrysalis effect because uh, my own background was that I uh, developed uh, a fatigue illness back in 2000 after returning from a long haul flight. I was uh, uh, really sort of uh, working in an international capacity training and, and doing lots of traveling and things. And I came home from this particular flight and felt very unwell and put it down to jet lag and uh, thought, oh, I'll be okay in in a few days. And actually that jet lag went on and on and it was really quite scary. And that was the sort of starting point for a a six-year journey of chronic fatigue that left me with periods of being bedbound and in a, a very difficult place because normally when things go wrong you tend to go and have some blood tests done and you know then hopefully there's some sort of diagnosis and treatment plan but what happened for me was that it was 18 months until I got a formal diagnosis and physically every aspect of my um body was felt like it was it was shutting down I had a lot of cognitive issues so I had um, a lot of brain fog I couldn't concentrate I had a lot of gut issues and uh, you know IBS that type of thing but the major thing was this just unrelenting exhaustion and I couldn't sleep so I also was awake all night feeling exhausted but my brain was running a marathon because I was trying to figure out what had happened and how how to get well so uh, that six years was really trial and error and I realized about 18 months in once I had had that diagnosis it, it was probably the most scary thing because for a moment I felt relieved that I had some formal diagnosis and then of course there was nothing there was no treatment plan there was no um well explaining to me what had happened and what to do about it so I was pretty much sent home and like many people started to do my research it was very scary I started to look online and found all these 
uh, descriptions of long-term chronic illness, having to accept that that was going to be my future. And so I looked for sort of other things. I looked for support groups. And in those at uh, that time, it was much more uh, face-to-face support groups and went along to a couple of groups and found that uh, I was hoping for some nuggets of what to do to get well. And it didn't seem like that at all. It seemed like everybody was really um, discussing how ill they felt. And it was discussions about claiming benefits and living with a long-term condition. And then ultimately, a little chink of light, I was... Uh, I was sent to a course called an expert patients uh, course and I went along with hope in my heart, hoping that somebody had some answers. In the meantime, I was reading and trying to do things through the brain fog and all the cognitive issues and insomnia and all the, all the problems I had. And uh, when I went into that room, I was so shocked because I had been put in a room with about 20 other people who had um, chronic illnesses uh, that uh, and and people that had had car accidents that had, had life changing injuries. So the message was very loud and clear that this was uh, a, a long term chronic illness. That's what the medical profession was was telling me, and that I had to learn ways to manage my symptoms and manage my illness. And you know, I was forty early 40s with uh, two young teenagers there was absolutely no way that I could a- accept that so it was really a six-year journey of trying to figure it out myself and spending money I didn't have on treatments that didn't work <laughs> and going everywhere to try and get answers so that was um, back in 2000 so it took me six years mm-hmm. of being highly motivated trying to work through uh, with all the difficulties that that brought and the financial collapse that it brought to us. we lost, I lost my business. My son had to move schools. We had to downsize because I'd been a major breadwinner. So I really do know what this can bring to someone's life and, and the devastation that you feel. And in the early days, I was so frustrated. All I wanted to do was get back to my life as I'd known it. But of course, the learning in that six years was that my life actually wasn't working. And I'd been ill for a lot longer than I'd realised. And all that had happened was that my body had reached a tipping point. So that was really, um, I'd love to say to you that when I finally got well that I rushed out to help everybody but I was so terrified of it coming back uh, and I wanted nothing to do with chronic fatigue I was just so grateful to feel fully recovered and I'd done a lot of internal um, work and uh, changed my nutrition I'd done so many things and then I uh, went into coaching and uh, loved what I was doing but the universe had other plans um, Lisa because what happened was uh, I ended up doing some corporate coaching and tra- training and teaching and mentoring um, people in coaching. And pretty much every single person I sat in front of started talking about their fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a bit like, so there was, it was good because it felt like there was some input I could could give people. But again, it hadn't ever dawned on me to, to, to specialize or do anything with this. And then there was something major that happened or in the UK on the BBC this story broke of this young woman of 34 she 
there was these photographs of her beautiful child who danced and had all her exam medals and things. She'd been a high achiever, which, you know, we'll probably talk a bit about uh, Mm -hmm. today because it's very much part of the profile of people that uh, tend to succumb to chronic fatigue. And uh, she'd committed suicide. She was 34. And it was because she had been ill for 17 years with her diagnosis was ME, myalgic encephalitis. And her mother, her poor mother, who'd nursed her and helped her and had been, you know, as a loss as I was of what to do, uh, she had been arrested for aiding and abetting the suicide of her daughter. So it was just this massive case. and tragic and what I did I got obviously was was just horrified really and so I started reading around it and what I discovered was that when I looked back at uh the 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 bit of the background story this this young woman really her trajectory into her illness hadn't been too different to mine Mm -hmm. and it was very clear that the things I'd learned through my recovery those themes had been there and yet this terrible, tragic outcome. And so at that point, uh, it was funny, I was meeting a friend for, for coffee that day and she'd also had a fatigue journey. And she said to me, have you seen the news? And I said, yes, we've got to do something. We, we absolutely can't not share with people, you know, that recovery is possible. And so basically that was it. We started with uh, we got a few le- few leaflets printed and went and saw a venue and was going to book a workshop called Get Your Life Back. <laughs> and uh, I think I put £150 in and she put £150 in. And we had this really awful website built um, by someone that we knew. <clears throat> and within a very short space of time, we had over a thousand emails saying, can't get to the workshop. I'm so ill. Please help me. Have you got a book? Have you got something? And so that was the beginning of the chrysalis effect we realized that workshops was not going to be the way to go to to help um, anyone and I don't know it was just a catalyst really for realizing that you know I suppose being a coach life purpose is so hugely important and it seemed like I was being drawn to do something and when I started researching I realized there's 17 over 17 million people um, worldwide uh, diagnosed and the approach out there is to manage a long-term chronic illness <clears throat> and people aren't given recovery information. So that was really where it all began. Wow. Thank you for sharing. What a phenomenal <laughs> story and a journey. And there's lots of things I want to pick up on in there. And, you know, that you talk about jet lag and that brain fog and, you know, we've all had it. I mean, I've yeah. had chronic fatigue syndrome myself, as we've discussed before, and I was 22 when I was diagnosed. And similar to you, you know, I was sent home with antidepressants and told I'd end up in a wheelchair. So it was like, there's no future for you. That's it. You've just got to manage your condition and it's going to get progressively worse. But everybody out there's, you know, suffered from jet lag. Everybody suffers from chronic, chronic fatigue. So whilst we say there's 17 million diagnosed sufferers, there's a lot more people out there oh. with fatigue. So this podcast is for anybody and everybody really who yeah. has felt or feels sometimes that fatigue or knows anyone who is struggling with fatigue. And that could just be from burnout from work, couldn't it? Exactly, yeah. And, you know, there, there's something that uh, when we look at this, you know, your body is I, – I remember thinking that my body had let me down 
And actually what I learned through my recovery journey was that I'd let my body down because our body is this incredible um, satellite navigation that tries to give us messages. And I, you know, I think in today's world, this 21st century world, it's so, so easy for us to become disconnected from our body. You know, we're living up here in our heads. And therefore, I wasn't listening to any of the messages throughout my life. You know, the old model is that you live your life and you, you feel unwell and you go to the doctors and ask for something, don't you? And, and I suppose I'd been brought up in that in that sort of um, culture, well, really. Um, to treat the symptom rather yeah, than... Yeah, and, and then the, the, the symptoms are treated and nobody at any point um, really looks at what's going on around that. So I, I think that that's, that's the big problem. And, and so we learn to override and ignore these messages you know the adverts on the tv show people taking a a tablet and back at work the next day you know and so therefore we get very good at ignoring those those um those signals but you know really all chronic fatigue me fibromyalgia is it's just a set of it's it's a label given to a set of symptoms where our body is feeling very uneasy. There's a lot of disease and it will start giving us early messages. And the more we ignore that at some point, the body and the system is going to become so stressed, so much inflammation that something's going to come along uh, like it did with me and tip tip us over. And if it doesn't develop into chronic fatigue, then it's going to develop into something, isn't it? If your body's um, not not um, feeling good, so um, we work with some sort of bit of a continuum, really. And, and it is absolutely true that it's relevant to, to to everyone. So you know, we all experience normal tiredness. Um, <clears throat> then sometimes people will say, you know, just feel tired all the time, and uh, and then it can then again the body sort of takes it up a notch and it will feel like exhaustion and that's often where people are uh, getting through their workload doing you know doing what they can uh, to keep going and then perhaps like certainly with me I was putting on a good show during the day and pushing through and then uh, weekends I was absolutely wiped out so sort of sleeping and just hoping that I was going to feel better the next day and I did that for a long time lots of little mini crashes and lots of fatigue issues throughout my life really um, but then exhaustion can turn into that burnout and we you know uh, and we we sort of know the sorts of things that um, you know we, we experience with with burnout you know the the, the sort of the, the sort of symptoms are tend to be gut issues and headaches and you know all those early warning um, signs really but yeah and it, it's exactly as you say isn't it is you know fatigue and burnout and it, fatigue could mean different things to different people can yeah yeah for, for one person who's a runner they might say well, I'm feeling a bit fatigued today I could only run 10 miles rather than 15 so what's yeah. going on your body is giving you feedback yes and then on the other end of the scale there's people who maybe can't even get out of bed in the morning they can't function but the body is always giving you feedback and it's yeah I love what you said earlier you said you know it's about we've become disconnected from our bodies oh completely because we're so busy in the modern day life that we're in our heads rushing around at 90 miles an hour yeah and you know we're in the midst of you know the coronavirus crisis now and it's all more ever important that people are having to slow down and take that step back so what a great opportunity for us to reconnect with our bodies and start listening to our bodies and understanding what what it's actually telling us 
Yeah, uh, because, uh, you know, now I live my life very differently. You know, uh, the the, uh, the chrysalis effect is um, it is an online. Uh, we, we develop the, the recovery pathway so that we can make recovery accessible to all. And um, that is, uh, you know, a, a recovery pathway now that we've been working for. We're in our 11th year. So we've been working to uh, make sure that instead of people going to their GPs and, and being given this, uh, sort of left in limbo and uh, blood tests or well, they always come back you know the blood tests usually come back clear all the tests then then there's all these referrals to different people going around the houses and then feeling disbelieved because nothing seems to be concrete about it um so the the problem is and the reason that these illnesses take hold is because people don't understand what's happened they don't understand what to do about it they don't get recovery information early enough so the work over the 11 years has been about making um, headway into certainly in the UK we've got the NHS system there mm-hmm. um, making sure that recovery information that there's a recovery pathway available at point of GP referral and we've just made that happen that's just where we're at now uh, which is fantastic it means that the health service are much more open then they know that the symptom-based model the old model isn't working looking for that uh, you know that holistic approach going forward so that's that was sort of the driving factor really so that people can so that those all those symptoms those odd headaches or the you know the bloating or the not being out of sleep or the 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 bouts of tiredness all those things instead of being treated as individual things are put together as a as a whole picture because you know we're we're just off track somewhere you know and it's been chronic fatigue has been described as sort of an identity in crisis Mm -hmm. and what we see is as much as it's horrible when you're going through it and you're trying to get back to what you think is normal life um it's seen as it really is a gift it's like your body just says enough yeah you know you are there is something not working be it you know your relationships might need looking at your um you know your you're possibly doing a job that doesn't fit with who you are uh, there's an awful lot maybe of saying yes when you really want to say no you know so uh life your lifestyle and pace has got out of out of whack we've got eight key areas that from all the research of all the people that have fully recovered mm-hmm. so not looking at the disease process but looking at who's fully recovered from this and is vibrant and healthy and well and these eight key areas without exception have to be addressed and i think for people trying to do this piecemeal, that's what I wanted to take away, you know, so that we could systematically, A, know that recovery is possible, B, um, start to get underneath those symptoms and look at what's really going on and the drivers. And the, the journey of the, the chrysalis effect has been incredible, learning from uh, people's journeys, but also finding the science that underpins what we saw happening over and over again and the uh, the underlying themes and facts and the predispositions of people that tend to end up feeling increasing levels of fatigue and ending up in a, you know, um, a compromise where their health is severely compromised if they don't get an intervention at the right time. For me, you know, these things can be prevented. It's just all about um, recognising uh, things early enough and um, putting those uh, intercepting the whole process really. 
It's proactive self-care, isn't it, rather than reactive. Oh, like massively. And, and yeah. You, what you've said there is, you know, a lot of people out there might be thinking, well, I've been told to, you know, just pull my socks up and cheer up. You oh. know, we're told to just get on with yeah. it. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And exactly what you've just said there is, you know, you can't fix one thing without fixing the other. So you can't just, yeah. you know, work on the mindset if your gut health's poor. And if you're, yeah. you've got a bad relationship or a toxic relationship or a career that doesn't fit with you and is burning you out there's so many different factors and elements and you've got to look at it holistically haven't you yeah absolutely so one of the things that people find so helpful I think is uh is when we start to share uh the 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 sort of profile and the predisposition because what what intrigued me was that you know I was one of four siblings And we all ended up running our own businesses, interestingly. Uh But I was the one that tipped over into chronic fatigue. And so what was different about me? Why did I tip over into chronic fatigue syndrome? They all got their own things. Uh (laughs) But, you know, uh, there was something that around that that I wanted to find out more about. And so that's been the fascinating part for me is uh, and the privilege of being able to share that, that kind of information with people. So um, looking at the, the, the predispositions, understanding um, where those um, the behaviours, because I think it wasn't until I trained in coaching years after I recovered that I actually saw the I understood where that driven type of behavior came from where I'd really pushed Mm -hmm. myself so hard and tipped over so I think what I I was excited about was and also things like thyroid and adrenals are hugely important and it was five and a half years into my recovery before uh, and I had a massive relapse and I was devastated because I thought I was almost there Mm -hmm. and of course it was the missing piece of of my puzzle everybody does it at different times but uh, I just couldn't believe that I'd slipped back down to such a low place. And uh, then working with a naturopath who looked me in the eye and said, you can absolutely can recover and explained the piece, the missing piece to me that I hadn't understood about the dysregulation of the adrenals and how that affects the thyroid. And that. So I thought, oh, my God, if I'd have had that information five years ago, you know, so my excitement around this is that we can give people this understanding and learning and so what and and actually help them to recognize how potentially they could be have been six times more likely to be heading for a fatigue or a fibromyalgia diagnosis than other people and uh, understanding the reasons behind that and mitigating that with learning uh, how to create a life where you can be vibrant and healthy and balanced and uh, you know that's my my biggest joy really is it's not just about recovery it's about going forward and probably being healthier than you've ever been and who doesn't want to be vibrant and healthy and balanced exactly. Exactly. because you've only got to see with the covid thing you know my husband even said this to me the other day is that the reason that people um are are sort of reacting potentially so badly what do we keep hearing underlying health conditions underlying health conditions when we look at us globally how many people are I think Patrick Holford the famous nutritional therapist I interviewed him for uh, the recovery pathway and he said that most people are vertically ill 
Mm. You know, they're walking around and I think we get used to or can get used to operating so far below par. We don't know what optimum well-being is. You know, when we have health profiles come into the crisis effect and we ask, you know, how long people have been having symptoms and what's going on. And the amount of times people say, I can't actually remember ever feeling well really well they don't know what wellness is so you know we as a, as a society I think that uh, sadly we, we've got used to just living at half you know under par all the time with this 21st well it's been called 21st century syndrome <clears throat> and I think maybe the COVID as tragic as it is for many it's given us a chance to reset Yes. And so many people that are coming through the recovery pathway with us have said, you know what? Uh, I've been doing this for some time, you know, uh, have, enjoying solitude, practicing self-care, you know, really um, not getting the level of overwhelm and taking on too much and spinning all the plates like like they used to. And so it wasn't such a big adjustment for them <laughs> because they're, they're actually prioritising all the things that, um, that, that people um, perhaps have struggled with that have come out of that crazy, you know, the crazy, busy lifestyle yeah. that people lead. So, yeah. And the first thing, like you say, is recognition, isn't it? Because if we don't recognise it, then we can't change it. No. And exactly. just yeah. knowing what, you know, what is normal energy levels and yeah. a lot of people settle for less. And quite often when I'm coaching clients and I coach with a mindset as well, I'll say to them, well, when was the last time you felt excited or when was the last time you felt happy? And they think and they say, I can't actually remember. But they can tell me when the last time they felt anxious or stressed yeah. or depressed and and that's really sad, isn't it? Because that's become their new norm, what they've practiced. And it's exactly the same with physical yeah. health is we we settle for less than we deserve. Yeah, And that's exactly. you know, what we're talking about today, isn't it? It's how to live a more fulfilled, thriving life. And I, I think yeah. we should delve a little bit more into the detail. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we talked off, um, off show about the link between the orchid and the dandelion children. Should we delve a little bit deeper into that? Because I'm curious to know more. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think um, what I... I I'd like to sort of look at um, was where we sort of started with that, really. So um, a lot of the symptoms that, 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 that people start to notice when, you know, their life's sort of getting off track is, you know, they start to feel drained and, and sort of exhausted. There's sleep issues. Sometimes it's things like palpitations, um, you know, gut issues and things. Um, and anxiety comes up a lot you know sort of sometimes uh, their their immune system starts to get affected so uh you know might find that there's a few more colds happening more often more more regularly um appetites affected either increased or, or lost or whatever um and you know headaches unexplained pain all of those sorts of things but the one of the the major things that we see is this increase of um they call it lack of resilience I suppose what you used to be able to cope with you can't really cope with in the same way and feeling more anxious about doing sort of normal normal things so uh, they tend to be sort of very common things that people start to sort of start to talk about so um in terms of the 
uh, orchid and the the dandelion. Uh, what we have now is we have an understanding of uh, the science of genetic sensitivity. And there is actually a stress vulnerability gene that's been identified. So uh, it's Duke University, the researchers identified a specific gene variant that's linked to what they term orchid children who are highly sensitive to their environments and particularly vulnerable to stress. So if we think about this, if we think about um, uh, an orchid and a dandelion. So let's think about, and it took me back to when I was thinking about my, my own siblings. So, you know, with dandelions, they're sort of, uh, they'll grow anywhere, won't they? They thrive. You, you can go on, a, on a, a building site where everything's been knocked down and there will be these little bright sunny flowers will pop up through the through the concrete and they they just extremely resilient aren't they yeah they're completely resilient and then if we think about orchids um well I don't know if you've ever tried to grow an orchid Lisa but I have and uh, (laughs) they're not easy they are very sensitive to their environment and they can't thrive unless they're in absolutely optimum sort of conditions and they're beautiful when they are in the right environment, but people often don't know how to treat them. And what we see is that this actually is exactly what we see with um, children. So uh, one of the things we look at in uh, uh, the profile of somebody who develops, you know, fatigue or, or, or fibromyalgia is that they usually identify it with the fact that they were very sensitive as children, may not have recognised it, but looking back, they can see that. So uh, what I sort of mean by that is that maybe they would um, be sensitive to certain foods and, you know, and, and, and maybe have started having some sort of tummy troubles as a youngster. Uh, maybe felt things very deeply. So when something happened in in the family or even watching TV, they get very, very upset. Often the children where you take them to a party uh, or if there's a lot of noise, they might find it it quite sort of uh, overwhelming, that that type of thing. But also uh, often feeling that that they can sense that, that, you know, things when when they're not comfortable. And, you know, sometimes if you see children being introduced to, other adults and they don't react in the way the parent wants them to you know that they, they, they might be sort of holding back or whatever with orchid children they're intensely sensitive physically emotionally and environmentally mm-hmm. and so definitely an orchid when I was yeah a child. <laughs> so, so what we see is, is is that but the difficulty with uh orchid children and we'll look a little bit about where that comes from but the difficulty is that often it's the family around them that make uh, comments about that sensitivity. So often these children will will be, you know, tease. I know going back to my own childhood, I was one of four, and uh, you know, I I would I found it very deeply distressing to be um, uh, criticised or or teased. And so they say, oh, there's something wrong with you. You can't take a joke and things like that. So. If that's the case, if if um, someone is highly sensitive to their environment and they react to things and they speak out about it, if they're criticised or teased or um, bullied about it or whatever, what can happen is 
some cover up behavior starts to happen. They get a message that I'm not OK. And so this is the early days of where they sort of tend to to feel they've got to got to put on a, a, a bit of a mask. And so what happens there is that the they end up um, because what we recognize is that they're highly empathic, highly sensitive, and they feel what others are feeling. So what that leads to is uh, this kind of putting on this this act, this brave face. And so what we see is almost a double bind being created in adulthood. So from a child, what they'll do is um, they'll have an, that they'll attempt to sort of control their environment so often they'll um, find ways to please others and become sort of people pleasers and um, they'll develop this tendency to uh, try and fix things you know certainly if there's things going on in the home or the family uh, that isn't harmonious they have this need to want things to be right so we find that these children will will often be in a position where they'll take on responsibility too young so that could be caring for siblings or if the parents are going through problems and overshare that information or they'll just sense that there's things going on, then the children start to step up and be adult too young. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can relate to that. but I completely relate to being an author. Yeah. I had a lovely family home, but the sensitivity of, you know, if someone said something to me, my mum would say, you know, Lisa's sat in the corner crying. Why, why are you sat in the corner crying? I've only told you to move away from the fire so you don't get burnt. And she'd be saying, you were such a sensitive, quiet little girl who you know, just used to hide away. Yeah, so I can completely relate to that. And as I'm hearing you talk, it's, I'm just thinking about parents out there who perhaps listening to this and they haven't got fatigue, but they might recognize some of these signs in their children. Are yeah. we going to talk about what they can do and top tips or how yeah. we can give them some signposts and direction for support? Exactly. So the first thing I would say is order Elaine Aaron's um, book, the highly sensitive child and there's also the highly sensitive person Uh, there's a little checklist in there on page one and uh, what you often find is highly sensitive um, adults produce highly sensitive children but the the wonderful thing is once you actually understand what's going on uh, and the positive side of being highly sensitive is that uh, often very creative highly empathic sense sense things and and so when you harness that in the right way then uh that person can uh, just be phenomenal it's when they are somehow made to feel bad about that sensitivity and what we often see that turning into is a needing to prove oneself or gain approval so in the sort of fatigue profile what we see is uh, in, in adulthood an a-type personality where someone feels they have to overachieve uh, go the extra mile become perfectionist um, and often if it's not in work or sport that over overachieving then it'll be an overgiving so not prioritizing their own needs so sensitive children learn not that they they won't necessarily get their needs met so they um they will often become the overgivers in society and the drivenness comes out of a not feeling 
quite right to mm-hmm. feeling flawed in some way and nobody sets out to do that to a child but having an understanding around uh, that you know that's that sensitivity is is just a, a life changer I've got sensitive children I've got sensitive grandchildren and so we have like an orchid farm <laughs> you know, we know how, what each other needs which is is so what a gift you know it, I went through all of that because I was totally misunderstood there's a lot that goes into it often it it comes from um the environment that you've grown up in and I will go through a couple of bits on that because I think people will, may resonate with some of the things that have led to the the genetics of sensitivity because we've all we, we've got these uh, genes that can be potentially switched on in different environments we may have heard of um, Bruce Lipton's epigenetics genetics, yeah. so what we see is that uh, if someone is, uh, you know, got the predisposition, got these genes, is, is a sensitive person in the right environment, it's absolutely fine. In the yeah. wrong environment, you know, where a dandelion would thrive, an orchid will not thrive and they will internalise an awful lot. And that at some point, that um, that that emotional um pain of not getting your needs met and uh, uh, will eventually it will manifest later on um so the other sort of aspects just to go through the profile and then i'll go through a little bit about the actual adverse childhood experiences and uh the ace scoring because i think people can can do that very quickly and uh, and piece that together and i so, think just picking up on something you said there about your yeah. family is an orchid family you know once yeah. you know you can nurture Oh, absolutely! Aren't you? And yeah, that's that's the beauty of knowing this, isn't it? Is knowing how to create that right environment for. Yeah, it is because then then people can thrive and 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 become everything they were meant to be mm-hmm. uh, without going through so much pain and uh, and things. So, um, so this A type personality perfectionist and this that high expectation of self um, that often comes out of taking on the feeling that you need to take on responsibility or try and fix things from a young age, um, that can lead in the workplace or in running businesses to be um, always having multiple projects um, on the go, um, being all things to all people, hate letting people down. um, And there's a big fear that develops of what others think of us. So there's that fear that people think we're lazy or incapable. And, there's also this feeling that people often will report of being like a fish out of water, yeah. feeling that you don't really kind of fit uh, with your family or with others around you. And that's because often of that, you know, nest, that, that just that feeling that people don't get you. Mm-hmm. And that can often come from what we call misattunement. And that, that can be not even, a, you know, the, your primary caregiver, uh, that attachment from when you're first uh, born is often with a mother well if that mother has had a traumatic birth if they suffer with postnatal depression if they are have been very stressed through the pregnancy all of those things will actually impact the way that uh, that bonding happens and so what we have and this is the um the really interesting bit is that if we have this predisposition to be highly sensitive, uh, what also can happen is that uh, it it means that we're wired to uh, potentially become very hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. And so 
the environment that we grow up in, the things that are going on around us, will add to the um, impact of our uh, of how our nervous system develops. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we talk about adverse childhood experiences, they come under sort of three types. So there's abuse, which is physical, emotional, and sexual, mm-hmm. and that does not need to be. Um, that emotional abuse can just be what I've been talking about, name-calling. For a sensitive child, they can't cope with it. So, you know, we talk, we talk about this in terms of trauma, not trauma like a car accident, but um, small T trauma. You know, when someone is does not feel uh, that they're emotionally supported in, in what's right for them, then that sets up all kinds of... Of, of fears really in it you know it really does um it triggers that uh hypervigilant state the fight or flight um response in our in our bodies and so as the developing brain in children um what what happens is that children that are in difficult environments for them you know are all kids they use the ability to contextualize fear so they can feel that they're in a position of chronic, unpredictable stress. And that's the worst environment uh, for a, a potentially sensitive child. So we've got the abuse there. We've got neglect. Now, again, that's physical or emotional. So emotional neglect could just be being being ignored, mm-hmm. not being um, not being given the support that that child needs to thrive. And then the third category is household dysfunction. So this is the one we see most commonly, to be honest. And this is where the relationship between the parents is often dysfunctional. Now, an orchid child will feel every bit of that, even if, you know, parents often say, oh, we don't round front of the children. You don't need to. They can feel every single thing that's going on they can in in an energetic way mm-hmm. so the household dysfunction is living with somebody with perhaps anxiety depression some sort of mental illness it can be observing um uh shouting and arguing and uh, you know maybe a parent being treated violently or a sibling indeed being treated violently i can remember my sister being caught smoking when she was a teenager and my dad made us sit and watch her. He made her have a roll-up cigarette which um, and, and smoke it in front of everyone. And I can just remember she was my favourite sister. It actually feels up, brings up tears now. And watching her being humiliated and mm. so upset was horrendous to me. You know, that that was my dad just thinking he'd teach us all a lesson. But yes. the irony was he smoked. So for me, I had very knew that that was that was just so wrong uh and yet you know as children children aren't resilient they just don't have the power to change things no. so it all becomes internalized and of course the other household dysfunction is when when, when parents split and so um or this they're witness to any sort of substance abuse or or if someone dies and it's not talked about you know that's that is horrific for a child because they don't it's a lot of people talk about things and they're doing it at the moment with COVID. They're, they're having the radio and the TV on all the time. And these children's brains are taking all this fear in and they're not being protected. Yeah. You know, and um, 
Bernie, we don't, we don't have any protection on our lives. Nobody teaches us how to manage our emotions at school. We get taught the maths and yeah. the English, but we don't get taught how to manage emotions. And exactly like you're saying, if you're in an environment where you're a highly sensitive t- child, then yeah. how do you manage those emotions? What tools have you got to manage those emotions? You haven't as a child. You look to your parents for guidance. We learn yeah. from observation and actually like you say it then goes into our subconscious doesn't it and into our bodies and then manifests yeah. itself for later in life well you're you're literally your biography becomes your biology yes. and so um if people if children are exposed to what feels like sort of unpredictable chronic stress then it landscapes the brain And so those neurons that fire together, wire together. So this is where we start to see the predisposition developing because the unconscious feels like it's permanently under threat. Yes. And children then can't develop self-trust. And this is the key. They can't develop an internal sense of safety. And so that that drivenness that I've talked about, that is an attempt to keep busy because the other side effect is that they can't regulate very easily. They haven't learned to regulate their emotions very easily. So what they do is they learn to negate them and suppress them. So therefore, they don't process, they're not processing the things that are upsetting them and it all literally gets pushed down and pushed down. And so a huge part um, of recovery is about, Um, working through, yes, the nutrition and, yes, the lifestyle changes and some external things. But actually it is about um, processing the um, unprocessed traumas and griefs um, that have happened to us that have been stored up. And Dr. Bernie Siegel, uh, he's a retired oncologist and paediatric surgeon and author, fabulous, fabulous man, um, interviewed him real New Yorker is, is lovely. And he says our childhood is stored up in our bodies and one day it will present its bill. And mm-hmm. Dr. Felitti, who discovered the um, ACE scoring, put it all together, all the research behind that fascinating read for those of your listeners that would like to check that out. He stumbled across the importance of ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences, which is now kind of called the theory of everything. When he was running, what's the book? Sorry, there for our um, that was a Dr. Felitti, and he. um, If you look him up online, you'll see the. um, It's he developed the ACE quiz so that people can go on and look and measure their adverse childhood experience score, because his research shows that the higher the score of the higher the ACE score. Uh, the higher the, um, well, they've actually got the links to the development of illness in later life, chronic illness like heart disease, strokes, cancer. Mm-hmm. And what we've done from that, <clears throat> the work that's been developed from that <clears throat> and the um, ACE awareness campaigns, what we see is the links to childhood illnesses. Mm-hmm. So the early warnings are sort of asthma and <clears throat> all the all the sort of the, the childhood ailments, but because they're not they're not picked up and, and looked at within you know what's going on in that child's life, then um, what he says is what happens to children plays out powerfully decades later. Mm-hmm. So when we work with people with chronic fatigue, 
what we start to look at is there will have been a, a denial phase. There will have been probably several years of pushing through, making yourself do things that weren't right for you, um, you know, leading that busy, crazy life. Um, and then you're physically stopped through some sort of tipping point, a virus or whatever is on this this highly stressed system. And it's what we really find interesting you talk about a tipping point because I put a post yeah. on um, social media this morning about, you know, cycling. Because for me, with the chronic fatigue syndrome, I, I developed this massive fear of exercise because yeah. whenever I tried to exercise, I then was burnt out for days on end. And I did a 20 mile bike ride the other day. And even when I was on, on the cycle ride, you know, the negative voice was kicking in saying, yeah. what happens if you won't get around, you might get fatigued on the way. And, you know, those neurological pathways had been created, but I had to find a way to manage them while I was out exactly. cycling. And I talked in my post this morning about that tipping point, because for me, I had that tipping point at the age of 22, whereas different people, yeah. hopefully, we would like to think some people never hit that tipping point, but it does hit people at different times in their life and if it doesn't like we said earlier they might not be living their best fulfilled life because they're they've just accepted less to operate at exactly and so you know what we know is that if if they've uh, if that that gene has got switched on that 5-HTT LPR gene there's, there's three variants of the sensitivity gene what that does is it regulates serotonin Mm-hmm. And serotonin influences our ability to rebound from emotional trauma and distress. And uh, the, the the thing that you were experiencing on the bike was that um, trauma. Uh, so it was quite traumatic for you to be going through chronic fatigue um, and all what it meant to your life. So what happens with that is that the uh, the accumulated stress is stored in a part of the brain that's really old it's the reptilian brain and it's a feeling thing. So what happens is, is that you've got a feeling memory that is then when you do something or another stress comes along, it's being triggered. And, uh, and uh, what, what we see also is I mentioned earlier about us not being able to always process emotion very well. So I just thought it might be worth giving an example, see if anyone can relate to this. I lost my first baby. I was 24 and um, it was a normal pregnancy I was a bit overdue went into hospital all the medical contraptions and and, and things and um, they uh, gave me oxytocin much too much of it and everything anyway it transpired that um, the placenta all broke up during the delivery and um, when my son was born it was um he had they resuscitated him while I was still in the room for 20 minutes and there was just there was like 20 people in the room it had been four sips it was it was the most traumatic thing and um sadly I lost him the next day it'd been a completely normal baby but this had been so badly handled and anyway the um this is what happened I literally discharged myself from the hospital I couldn't cope with sitting with him at all I knew I had to salvage part of me because I knew I couldn't cope I was terrified of you know actually being with him when he passed away and I knew he was going to all sorts of things happened three weeks later I was back at work Mm. three weeks later I went back to work and what happened was that I worked in an environment where lots of people knew me lots of people knew I was pregnant and 
they were literally seeing me and running up to me and going, you're back. What did you have? And I had to then um, protect them from what I was about to tell them. So all that high, you know, heightened sense of responsibility, I wasn't looking after me. I wasn't processing grief. I couldn't process the grief. So um, I, what I did was I went into my default, which was be busy, fill the, t- fill the time up yes. with, with work. And so I think that what this is often what we see with people that at some point uh, tip over. There's been a years and years of not being able to process um, emotion properly. Um, I was always the person that stepped up and did everything. If, uh, when my dad died, I... Um, I organized, you know, the funeral and and did all these things and everything. And I was I can remember being in a disassociated state. Uh, Took me ages to be able to actually feel it. Yes. And that's the key word there, isn't it? Is feeling and we're human beings to feel, not human doings. And quite often, you know, I just want to thank you first and foremost for sharing that story because I'm sure there's people out there who've been through a similar experience and gosh. It must have been horrifically painful. But rather yeah. than dealing with those feelings, we we bury them. And, you yeah. know, I've been through different experiences that have been so painful that I just didn't want to deal with them. So you you yeah. bury your head, don't you, and you move yeah. on and you become a human doing rather than yeah. a human being. That's where we and disconnect. We store, we store yeah. it all up, don't we? And then it yeah. represents later in life because it's got to come out somehow. Exactly. And fibromyalgia uh, we've talked a lot about fibromyalgia, but fibromyalgia, um, when we start to delve with people, you know, it's always, always there is emotional trauma, unprocessed grief. There is usually relationship issues, um, painful people. Actually, the body will send you physical pain because it's easier to deal with than emotional pain. And that is the the hard thing. It's often why people don't want to do that bit. They they'll, they'll they'll avoid the emotional health part of the wheel until they absolutely have to. But um, once you do and you can process it and take the electrical charge out of that pain, then you can actually sit with what's happened to you in a completely different from a place of peace and acceptance. And so it's 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 challenging work, but. It um, has to be done somatically through through the body, and uh, it is just the most releasing and liberating thing. I think a learning to uh, recognise that you are sensitive and embrace it, and then then we do the work of creating our life uh, to eliminate the things that don't work for us, to um, make sure that we fill our lives with all the things that that, that we need that bring us joy, and. Uh, and and also know that the work of processing emotion, being able to sit with that emotion and feel it and having support, having support of people who get it, other people that are highly sensitive. And I think that's, I think, a big part of, uh, I call it role model medicine. You know, we've got built a phenomenal community in our recovery pathway of, of recovery specialists and also <clears throat> uh, the people that are at different stages of their recovery and knowing that someone else thinks like you do and it's a safe space and uh, and realise that you can be vibrant. You don't have to try and be like the dandelions. You know, you can be an orchid and uh, and honour your well-being above all else. 
And putting yourself in the right environment, I guess, isn't it? Because oh, that's the hardest bit because, you know, we find some people have to move home because they're so poorly. And of course, what they're doing is for some people, it's like going back into the lion's den. Yes. So family dynamics is absolutely crucial dealing with the family dysfunction. And sadly, for some people, and that that's for me, um, I had an A score of seven. So if you look at an A score of seven, the health outcomes for somebody with a high A score like that is is potentially 20 years less lifespan. Wow. That's how important this information is. Um, But that doesn't have to be the case if you do what you need to do. So um, I guess people find themselves in an environment they wouldn't choose to be in that's perhaps not the best environment for them. There are little things that they can do, aren't there, like getting out into nature, just taking a breath of fresh air, just connecting back to some peace and quiet and tranquility and taking that time. There are any other tips or... Yeah, all, all of those those things. So um, I think uh, really uh, recognising uh, that being sensitive is a really good thing. It's 20% of the population, I think it's far more than that actually, but it's a really good thing. And you, I, I really believe you've been given that sensitive for, sensitivity for a reason. And um, you might be noticing things that are going on in those around you that aren't right. Trust your instincts it's not right and don't let someone convince you otherwise I think that's the first thing I think eliminate so one of the things we suggest is certainly um, if you know uh, that uh, a family gathering for instance is going to have a delayed impact because there's something called de- you know there's a delayed stress reaction so often you might have a health dip or a health crash and you can't figure it out uh, think back within the last two weeks you've probably had a challenging conversation or you've had a you've been to a wedding or a family gathering or been together at Christmas or that so I, I think recognizing um, who it's good to spend time with and who it isn't and you know, we de garden. So eliminate those people from your life uh, that are not good for you to be around and limit the amount of time uh, that you spend with them. Um, make sure you've got people in your life that uplift you. Uh, we talk a lot in the Christie's effect about you've got your birth family and, you know, that they're all there to teach us something and, you know, They've all got their own suffering, uh, but you can create your soul family, and uh, yeah, you create your soul family—the ones that get you. And I think that's what we've created in the Christmas Fair. We've got a soul. We've got a soul family. There's complete respect, understanding, a bit of fun along the way, um, as well. So I think uh, and, and tap in. Usually, uh, usually you've let go of doing things that lit you up as a child. So getting back into creative, um, anything that you love doing, singing, dancing, um, drawing. You know, we've got we've got an art, uh, we've got creative hub in the Chrysalis Effect and seeing the incredible stuff people are doing. You know, uh, we've got a gardening hub, we've got yoga hub. So, you know, things that reconnect you to your body and trust your satellite navigation. If something doesn't feel right, it's not right. Yes. Yeah. Don't second guess it. 
I yeah, and I second everything you say there. And one of the things I read the other day was in your life you can promote, demote, or fire people. It's not just in work that you can do that. You can. It's a a challenge though, Lisa, because what are empaths? Empaths don't like upsetting people. Empaths already can um, predict how uncomfortable that person would feel, and that's the last thing that they want. But actually. When you um, when you really know yourself and you know what's good for you and what isn't good for you, um, then when you honour that and you put your oxygen mask on you, because that's the other thing is we tend to try and fit. But that fixing everyone else and being there for everyone else is another avoidance tactic of feeling what yes. you feel. So recognise that and. somebody said to me the other day I'm really I know I need to practice more self-care but I feel so selfish Mm. so one of the things I would say that's super important is that um, something we do very early on is we look at your values so you need to look at the values so things that are important to you because um, it's our values that generate what we believe about things and it's our beliefs that that create our thoughts and it's our thoughts that then impact how we feel about doing things or not doing things. If we know what our values are, um, what often has happened for us empaths is we've grown up in a set of values that didn't feel right, but we've tried to honour them and we feel guilty when we don't do what other other people expect of us. So, If you're feeling in conflict or you're telling yourself that you should do this or you feel, you know, it's hard to say no, you ought if you're shoulding, oughting and musting on yourself, then the chances are you're trying to honour values that aren't yours. So have a spring clean of your values. <laughs> Get the it one that be like your... effort, should it? You know, if you're saying I, I could or I would have exactly. done this, then you're not aligned to your values, are you? Yeah. These are your decision makers. So when you get your value, when you've spring cleaned them, and got rid of the ones that you're telling yourself you should have. Uh, so and a good example of that is if you've been brought up in a family with like duty is really important and um, putting others first is really important. All of those things, you might have learned that. So that's what you feel and believe is the right thing to do. And when you feel that actually you don't want to do that and you want to go and spend time being creative, which potentially someone's told you is a waste of time and daydreaming or whatever. Yes. It, when you do what actually is what you want to do, yes. then um, you will be at peace. So you can test out um, when you're honouring your actual values, you'll feel peace and happiness. When you are trying to honour someone else's, you're going to feel conflicted. You're going to feel um the, the thing is, if I don't do this, I'll feel guilty. That's not the space the to be living channel. in. Yeah. Yes. So if people yeah. are feeling that, then they know they're working for Then them. they know that that's not your values. Yes. And so there's a bit of work to do there. And I, um, one of the things we do a lot of work on is um, building up those assertion skills and boundaries and, and all of that. So uh, that all comes as part of recovery. And so... You know, when we, that's why we call it the Christmas effect. When life isn't working for you and you're that voracious caterpillar, 
going around like crazy and then suddenly you're stopped your body's saying no um, and we fight that we resist it massively but what happens inside that that chrysalis is that that caterpillar dissolves yes. into a soup and that's terrifying you know I remember when I had to give up my business when I wasn't able to work when I wasn't able to do yeah I didn't know who the hell I was it was terrifying but the my body had physically stopped me to give me the space to revisit all of that and I came out of that dark place where I was terrified I came out of there the person I was supposed to be and, and the life that I was yeah yeah and, and for anyone out there who's feeling hopeless then you know what a great <laughs> what a great inspirational story to know that you can come out of that you can be in a dark place and come out of it and one yeah. of the things that you know Gandhi says be the change it's I, exactly we have to be the change don't we we have to realign our values and then we will come out as the butterfly and we life do. Will happen around us and yeah. relationships will change around us we don't need to you know when we talked earlier about promoting and demoting people you don't have to physically do that it just happens naturally when you're aligned to your values you might it go for months without talking to someone that you yeah. attract new people into your life yeah. you're on your wavelength and it's about letting exactly I love your analogy about letting that evolve naturally yeah and just letting it happen when you reconnect with your true values yeah exactly and that is the thing I think is that you you we attract the people that are going to teach us the lesson so we attract the the um perhaps the negative people that uh the, the people that put upon us you know all of those things they're just all the all, all the teachers in life aren't they when you stop uh reacting and responding to that in you know in your people pleasing way or your need to to fix or or negating what you need when you when you're really completely standing in your own power and you know what's right you just give off a completely different energy so of course the people that come to you are all the people that are going to support you to become everything you're supposed to be and so a I think a lot of people are frightened of being alone. So they put up with bad relationships because they think that it's worse being alone than, you know, being with, but there's, there's worse things than being alone. And that's being in destructive relationships. It really is. So actually it's the the opposite is the case is that, as you've just said, Lisa, you, you will just have, um, you know, you're going to attract your soul family uh, when you do the brave thing. And the brave thing is uh, honour that your body is really trying to get you somewhere amazing. It's communicating with you, isn't it? Like you said earlier, it's that satellite navigation and use it to support you on your journey. Yeah, it'll never put you wrong, never put you wrong. So when I'm asked to do something, as I often am, (laughs) you know, I just go in and think, okay how does that feel and if it's like that and it lifts me and I get that little spark oh you know if it's a oh and I'm feeling my finding myself avoiding it then do you know what probably if I check back to my values it's not in alignment and it's it's just me having those memories of that people pleasing behavior in there um you know that would be an old little memory of that uh, that old default behavior so um, and the minute you say no and you stick with what's right, amazing things happen. Yeah. And it's, it's trusting that, isn't it? That yeah. 
that feeling and I love what you said there you said you know I always ask myself well how does this feel and for our listeners out there who can't see Elaine what she just demonstrated then is if she's feeling uplifted her body language just changed and she sat up in her chair and she said if it doesn't feel right it's almost like a bit of a slump back down in the chair isn't it and noticing that feeling and how that has a a very subtle impact on our body language as well isn't it and do do what feels right for you rather than what feels logical because sometimes we work from our logical brain rather than from our feeling yeah and we work from our feeling and we don't even know how and we're trying to figure it all out just trust it yeah you don't need to you don't need to because actually you're guided that's the that's the amazing thing when you stop trying to control it all and do it all and fix it all yourself and you trust and you allow this intelligence that we have and and you think think of children before they've had it conditioned out of them you know uh what did you want to do when you were seven? What, what you never used to say to yourself, oh, well, I, well, I'd like to do that, but I can't do that because my, you know, my body isn't the right shape, or, um, or oh, I don't think I'd be very good at that. You know, that the adults do that for us, don't they? The adults in our life tell us what they think we can and can't. One of the one of the um, biggest uh, problems, uh, if you ask any lecturer or teacher or whatever, and I, I, I talked for a while and I, I saw this, was how many people go on a path uh, because someone else thought it was a good idea or they wanted to, you know, please that person. Uh, if you think about some of the high-flying careers where that happens at its most, it's medicine and law, yes. or it tends to run in families. So, you know, we see a lot of high-flyers that get there and are completely and utterly um, empty when they've achieved it because it was never right. Yeah, because they're not following their sole purpose. Are no. they? So then no. they're not surrounded by their sole family. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and then what happens, there's lots of uh, blame, shame and guilt, uh, which it comes up in all of us uh, sensitive children because we, we think everything is our fault, you know, so that goes, that goes back. But, um just on that note uh, just to sort of finish off on the ace thing is that there is this problem with children being able to regulate and that goes on into adulthood so the self-regulation the the way we often choose to try and self-regulate and feel better is where we're self-medicating and that would be um drinking um Comfort eating, eating, shopping, uh, retail therapy, therapy, um, getting into relationships that are awful because actually the drama of that relationship, again, keeps us so busy and occupied, doesn't it? So um, we self-medicate instead of instead of feeling. So I think the journey to recovery is that you do learn what you need to self-regulate. And when you do that, of course, you can have an impact on those genetics so that's why you can go forward and you haven't got this sentence that you're going to be ill forever that's not true and that's that whole subject of epigenetics which is a whole nother podcast in itself and how our lifestyle can uh, affect our yeah yeah Oh, it's so wonderful Elaine and you know what a wealth of knowledge we've shared with our listeners today and thank you from the bottom of my heart is there a parting kind of message or tip you'd like to leave with our listeners well my mantra (laughs) is to honor my well-being above all else 
And that is something that uh, permeates everything we do in the chrysalis effect, really, that that's the simple, that is the, 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 where we're aiming uh, to support people to get to a position where they do that because when you do that everything falls into place um so i think if you even have that as a starting point you know where am i honoring my well-being and where am i dishonoring my well-being and my and, and my needs um we you know i think the most important thing and certainly if you listen to this and you're struggling with all those symptoms and things um one of the first steps is look at life beyond these this current you know these symptoms are temporary they absolutely are don't believe anyone else that tells you otherwise um recovery is absolutely possible and so know that in your heart and look at what what would be the perfect life for you beyond what you're going through right now because without vision the people perish it's it's in the proverbs so i think looking at, at life beyond the illness realizing that they're only symptoms and that that is just the messages coming from your body and then um work through to find what you need to do to honor your well-being above all else and if you have got that some of that history of um, difficulties and trauma that you've pushed down and um, you know haven't dealt with and I would say that you know honoring what we eat our nutrition making sure our environment serves us getting a lifestyle and pace that we love and that we're not feeling you know crushed under um, making sure our relationships are healthy and getting an absolute um, handle on what you know, being open to the fact that what you're doing now is possibly not your life purpose. And I think, you know, get curious about that and know that, you know, you can come out of this having um, having such a, a wealth of um, of loving your life, really. And, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day, isn't it? Self-love. How wonderful self-love and, you know, putting your wellness, you know, above everything else. It's it's important, isn't it? Because if we're not healthy and happy, then life can't happen, can it? We can't give to others if, what we don't have. No. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Elaine. If people want to get in contact with you, because you do some amazing work and you support people from all walks of life, how do they get in contact with you? Certainly. So <clears throat> the website is the chrysalis effect.co.uk so in the show notes so people can yeah access to that but it's .co.uk because we're in the uk yeah so chrysalis effect.co.uk yeah but we work internationally so that's it's not a problem it's just that that, that's that's the website and that on there you can go through and you can come through and uh come immediately because it's all about instant access and agile um, personalized support so we've got a recovery pathway in there that you can come on to and you can try that for 30 days to see if that's a good fit for you Um, if you're a therapist and you are working with with you know clients through the sorts of things we've talked about um all those symptoms will be presented in your in your practice uh then uh there's a contact us page on there uh, uh, where uh, if you'd like some more information about some specialist training in uh, you know recovery work or trauma-informed practice any of the things we've talked about then do get in touch and uh, you know we can uh, 
make sure that you've got the right information for what you're you may be um, looking for that's fantastic thank you very much so it's going to help individuals who are either going through this or individuals yeah. who want to help others so you've got yeah we work with everybody huge team and become but, part hey, of the soul family yeah come and join our soul family we oh, were all doing yoga lovely. together yesterday it was lovely oh, uh, okay. so um, thank you lisa because you know one of the most difficult things for the work that we do is um awareness is expensive you know and we wanted to make sure that we could provide uh recovery support regardless of you know people's financial situation that was really important so we've got a non-profit arm of our business and you'll know as a business owner um getting the message out there is the most expensive and difficult thing that we can do so i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart giving me the opportunity to be able to get this information out there you're very welcome and it's a pleasure to talk to you as always so thank you very much thank you i'm lisa Lisa victoria and this is alternative health tools we hope you've enjoyed the show today you can find this podcast on anywhere you get your podcasts from apple google and spotify and we look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast